Okay. I did it. I hit record. We're doing it. Okay. Oh, hello, Mark. How are you? Oh, hello, Casey. I'm doing quite well. I'm very excited to be sitting here with you in two different time zones, two different mm -hmm. coasts, to record the first episode of what will surely be a juggernaut podcast, shocking, lurid, tawdry, the history of American scandals. <laughs> if, if it's not going to be an awesome podcast, I think we're definitely getting a call from 2020. So all set, just for your voiceover. That's what it's going to be. You know, that's all that I've ever wanted. And they've rebooted Unsolved Mysteries too. So I really feel Thank like goodness. I could fill the Robert Stack uh, <laughs> hole that has been left in all of our lives with his untimely demise. I mean, untimely, he was in his 80s. That's true. Lived a life. But I do, I have to give you credit because you, you kind of bullied me into doing a podcast with you. <laughs> I did, I did. I thought, I was, there was some I serious thought we were peer riffing. pressure. Yeah. I thought well, we were just riffing over text and then you wouldn't let up. Yeah, I mean, it started that way. And, um, but then I was like, no, really, I think this is a thing. And then I got really excited about it. And I did, I, there was like a heavy, heavy amount of peer pressure that I, that I laid on there that, um, that I think will be really fun. And then like, once I said that, then you like took the next step and then I'm like, oh gosh, now I really have to do it. So that was the whole thing. Well, the best way to get me to do anything is to take my joke ideas and say, this could be better. <laughs> which is what you did for many like many different iterations of what the podcast would be many different titles and then by the time that you really pushed me to bring my best work to the table it was so good that it was undeniable that we had to sit down and record that was kind of a thing once once you really nailed the title I was it was that was game over for me I was like oh that that has to be a thing now so yeah I mean and if we you both dropped found out, our I was fully niches. prepared to do this yeah. <laughs> I was fully prepared to do this alone if you were not going to do it with me. But I uh, think we found a nice combo. I hope everybody likes it. But let's start and then Mark, introduce yourself or I can introduce you. Oh, that's right. I'm really bad at introducing myself. Uh, <laughs> hello, I'm Mark Pikert. I'm the editor-in-chief of a bunch of publications that people pretend to care about, but don't really. Uh, and now I'm working in gay pornography as uh, editor-in-chief of thegaygoods.com. And I love scandals. Casey? <laughs> um, hi, I'm Casey Howe. Um, I have a job too. It's great. And um, I love scandals. And Mark and I used to work together. And this is really my ploy so that he has to hang out with me again. And that's my story. It's really my origin story. You know, 10 years ago, all we needed was cocktails to hang out. And now we're in our 30s and the only way to hang out is to have a podcast together. So true. I think that really encompasses how we age. You know, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, occasionally we'll toss a cocktail in, but I think we just got to a point where it can't always be about cocktails. We'll run out of places to drink. And then the pandemic happened. So we literally didn't have a place to drink. So we had to think outside the box and this is our new box. And when Casey says we would run out of places to drink, she doesn't mean that we would run out of places we like to drink. She means that we would run out of places that would allow us back. Yes, correct, correct, yes. But we had a good time doing it. <laughs> sure did, sure did. We, we owned uh, New York City for a solid, I'm gonna go five to like five or so years. We really knocked it out of the park. Maybe yeah, longer. I think so. Yeah. 
So. Uh, if it wasn't five years, then uh, we drank like we drank the same amount that normal people do over the course of five years. <laughs> yes. In a very exactly. shortened period of time. I think that's why it feels like five years. It's just because it was like so much that it's like, oh, it must have been at least five years. But um, yeah. yeah. So, so here, so that's us, guys. We, <laughs> we, and now we're going to tell each other, and then I guess you can listen in if you want. We are going to tell each other scandals that we have just researched and have prepared. And we do not know anything about each other's scandals. I know the kind of the gist of yours. I think that I mentioned like one or two things about mine. Of course, I made it hard for myself and picked something that uh, is not super well documented in today's internet. So what is your one sentence summary of your scandal? Um, okay. So, well, first, Mark, I just wanted to start with, I wanted to ask you a question because we both really oh. latched onto this whole scandal idea. And so just as sort of like another origin story, like, is there a, so my scandals are all going to be political scandals. So I'm going to stay in the era of politics, politicians, government, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think you have a little bit of a different take on scandals, but I just wanted to see if there was anyone that that sort of like hooked you from the beginning and then ever since you've just like kept an eye out for that scandal. Uh, yes, it would have to be Anne Woodward, society glamour girl, Anne Woodward shooting her naked husband, uh, Billy. I think his name was Billy. Uh, thinking that he was a prowler which then became a chapter in Answered Prayers, Truman Capote's unfinished book. And it was published in Esquire and Anne killed herself when it was published. And then Dominic oh Dunn wrote a book about both Anne Woodward and her husband and Truman Capote writing a short story about it. And Anne Woodward's son killed himself when that book came out. And then that book became an Emmy-winning miniseries, The Two Mrs. Grinvilles, starring Claudette Colbert and Anne Margaret. Ooh, oh, do you think it was more the Anne Margaret thing that got you or the story in general? Both. I mean, I'm well, the story both. in general, is, <laughs> but the Anne Margaret thing just really is, uh, nailed it. Hammered at home. Hammered at home. That's when you're like, all right, fine. I'm in. <laughs> Plus, I just, I, I watched a lot of TV miniseries with my mother growing up and those were all real life. I mean, Betty Broderick, they're still making TV shows about her. No kidding. I think that's a really good point is that scandals sort of, you know, when you get the juicy ones, they never really go away. They sort of always stay as part of like lore and, and culture, and it becomes sort of intertwined with, with all of it. So, but, and yeah. this is also going to come up, I think a lot for us, uh, the ways in which people repurpose the scandal for whatever the zeitgeist is at the moment. Sure. Sure. Great point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look what, look at Lorena Bobbitt jokes versus the documentary that came out. Right. Such a good point. Mm -hmm. How they evolve over time, you know? And I'm going to get into that a little bit more with my okay, scandal. But sorry, what is sorry. your origin story scandal, Casey? <laughs> well, mine's a little more vanilla because I feel like everybody has this, but I definitely remember um, growing up and the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal being the first one that I was like, oh, this is a thing that happens and people are talking about it and why are they talking about it? And part of me, I was 
young-ish at the time and um, sort of like, why does it matter? And why is everybody so obsessed with this? And I think everybody's obsession sort of drew me in. And I was, I got to a point where I think that one's really stuck with me. I'm sure I'll cover it at some point, but um, that one's for sure stuck with me. And then I think, you know, once I, I always loved history and I think that the, the political scandals are woven through American history left and right and really shape what we what we've stuck to and how laws have changed and all of that kind of stuff. So I just, the impact of a scandal and like the ripple effect really sort of got me from, from day one um, on the politics side. And look, I'm depending on you to finally explain what the fuck the teapot dome scandal was. <laughs> it's on the list. I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And I'll talk about Get Florida to the bottom of it. or as she was called the Duchess who carried a red leather notebook where she wrote down the names of people who displeased her that day. Oh, I do the same thing. Mine's pink, though. Oh, that's... Well, you're hiding in plain sight. You know, you don't have to make it more subtle, but the color of pens changes based on where you rank. So, you know, keep that in mind, everyone. (laughs) Pay pay attention to what pen color I'm using. You are the amazing Amy of our generation. I've always (laughs) said that about you. Thank you. That is high praise in my book. So thank you. Uh, same. And you knew it was a compliment coming from me. I did. I did. I did. They always are. They always are. Uh, well, um, I don't know. Okay. Should we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So everybody who has um, fast forwarded through this part, now is the time <laughs> when the stories start. Um, okay. So my scandal is about um, Craig J. Spence, who was a Washington lobbyist best known for his connection to a male prostitution ring, who was found dead in his room at the Boston Ritz-Carlton, classy, in 1989. That's where uh, we're starting. Should I, do, should, should I give my one sentence summary of mine or should we just power through you into yours? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll start, I'll do mine and then that way yeah. you can have a big reveal. You know, oh, it also will help people not necessarily just fast forward straight to you, which is probably what's going to happen in this podcast. So, Mm. um, (laughs) Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's it's fine by me, everyone. I totally understand. Um, okay. So Craig J Spence, but first we have to talk about this guy named Henry Vincent, because it really starts with him. You have to kind of back up a little bit because he's such a key player. So I'm going to tell you about Henry first, and then we'll get back to Mr. Spence and see how he plays into all of this. Um, So Henry grew up in Nolan, West Virginia, which is in Mingo County, which is fun to say. Um, His father was a coal miner. His mother drew a school or drove a school bus. So, you know, average West Virginia family living their lives. Uh, He owned a pet pig named Arnold, which I really appreciate. And the pig lived indoors. He had a little house in the basement. So I think that's kind of cute. Um, He left home to get a a degree in the mortuary sciences, fun, um, from Cincinnati College. And then he came back home. He um, ran a funeral home for a while in West Virginia. And there's a little bit of like mystery as to why he left that job. Something about um, like not properly burying someone. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's also like a little undertone of him actually charging the county more to bury poor people. So, you know, but it kind of provides a little bit of insight into Henry because Henry is like a real go-getter. Like he loves the mortuary, mortuary services. Um, he's actually quoted as saying that he loved all aspects of it, the embalming and everything. He just, he really loved the work. But I just, I don't know if it was like enough, you know, to really, to really get him going. So um, he leaves West Virginia. He's a little bit like run out of town um, and he ends up in Washington, DC. He actually gets a job running another funeral home there. And um, which was, which was fine. He was doing, doing well. He didn't own the place. He just sort of did the embalming and burials and money was a little tight. So in September of 1986, Vincent, um, he answered an ad in um, the local paper for Don's Capital Escorts. And it was in the Washington Blade. Um, and Don, actually the, uh, the owner of the escort service, said that Henry was a real go-getter. And um, he was one of his best, best guys and really just would take any job and wanted to just like became really popular and just did some escort stuff for a long time. Really, no, was he really into was it. he an attract was he an attractive gentleman? Um, great question. Yeah, he had like sandy blonde hair, he was tall, you know, in good shape, kept himself together. So he was real uh real popular. Real popular. Um, so we, he was doing that. Yeah, I know, I know. Good for him, right? So uh pretty soon Henry figures out that like he doesn't need on he can do it you know go it alone um and he pretty much was off to the races he figured out that essentially it was all about marketing and advertising so he could run like he could run the guys and the escorts he just had to get like drive up the business right like he needed the calls so he would advertise everywhere apparently he was like a real when it comes to the escort business apparently he was a real innovator and um, he also was one of the first people who he had his clients um, sign waivers that was essentially he was like, hey, I don't know what they're doing. You're signing for somebody to like take you out at night. If you guys end up having sex, fine, none of my business, but give me the money, right? So it was really interesting that he sort of had that claim. I think that he at the time, this is just me talking, but he kind of knew that like, this was probably going to get him into trouble. And like, what are the ins and outs that I can weave to do that? The other thing that he did that was innovative is he had all these different um, like names for services to try to attract different clients, right? So which, like, which one are you going to apply to in these classified ads? But they'd all go to the same phone number. So they'd all just get rerouted into the same into the same like phone bank essentially that he was always there answering. Um, so I am going to, of course, because the next question begs the question is, what are these names? Don't worry, I got some for you, not to worry. Um, so the first one obviously was um, that guy Don, which I just Don's capital escorts, <laughs> classic. 
um, especially these days. Anyway, um, so the <laughs> other one, the other ones, um, my favorites were Man to Man, Jack's Jocks, gotta love an alliteration, Dream Boys, and Boys Are Us 18 Plus. No. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, which is great because, like, let's clarify, no one under 18, please. Thank you. Um, let's consensual this. So, yeah. I, I feel like love the that comes with a real, I feel like Boys Are Us 18 Plus comes with a real wink-wink. Uh, oh, that's true. Quite possibly. Could be like, Boys Are Us 18 Plus, ask otherwise. Exactly. <laughs> uh, do Please keep in mind, this is an audio uh, medium, so no one can see the wink that you just gave me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Very true. I have to remember that. My air quotes <laughs> and my winks don't come through. <laughs> um, so let's see. Oh, and then the other thing that he did which was um, very innovative, very rare at the time is he would actually run people's credit cards. So he would take credit cards. He like, yeah. So, and this is 1986, 87 by now. Like we're, yeah. Like no one was taking credit cards. How old is he at this point? You know what? It doesn't give a birth date. So, you know, we're at 1986. He's gone to college. He ends up in, you know, so he's, I'm guessing, 20s 30s yeah yeah 18 plus 18 plus check check uh yeah he yeah because um anyway I won't spoil the story we'll talk about it later but um oh oh so yeah I mean I think you know grown adult like I said out of college lived at home for a little while moved out so you know I late 20s early 30s that's where I pictured him Mm -hmm. okay um so business is very good for Henry. Um, you know, he's just running his male prostitution ring, minding his own business. When one day the FBI barges in. So what? yeah, I know. Rude. So strange. I mean, like what, you know, just doing his thing. So yeah. So in June, 1989, the Washington times had gotten wind of like, this whole thing that's happening. They'd written a few stories about some, some random things here and random things there. Meanwhile, FBI has been investigating this. Um, they've been investigating it, fun fact, because um, of the credit cards. So while innovative, the credit cards are, are what, <laughs> what, what did in Henry. So um, and possibly and, the and possibly the marketing as well. Well, I could have been, could have been, but you know, it's just maybe they're just you know looking for people for their volleyball team. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Jack's Jocks. I mean, maybe that's his like catchy office volleyball team name. I mean, who knows? Um, so yes, definitely the like advertise. I think he was people were paying attention to Henry. Um, there is a little bit of an under, under like current and some reports that have said that someone like one of his competitors tipped off the cops to say like another like guy that wasn't doing as good a business as Henry was like, oh, I'm going to go put him out of business. So I'm going to call the FBI and get him to investigate. I bet it was that Don. <laughs> Could have been. Could have been. I know Don was like, what are you doing? You can't go out on your own. That's not how this works. 
So, um, so yeah, so the FBI comes in, apparently a couple things, obviously, um, the credit card charges were like, that's strange, but the way that he was running them through was not like, oh, you know, $200 to manonman.com or manonmancompany. He had a plan. Um, but two things happened. One is that some of his clients were putting um, the charges on government issued and government funded credit cards, which um, the Secret Service keeps a pretty much, by the way, fun fact that falls under the Secret Service purview. Um, yeah, I know. But they, um, yeah, they caught that. They were like, hmm, some odd charges going on here. Now, the odd charges were not, again, like I said, you know, to Jack's, Jocks and Co. Um, they were actually, um, Henry was running charges through his mom's transportation business. She was, she was very kind. And then um, also the funeral parlor that he worked for. So he was Stop. like doing it. Yeah. So he was like, the charge was at like, so-and-so's more, more chambers, mortuary. Yeah.com. So here's the problem. I cannot, in 1989, there was no.com, but you get my point. Um, so <laughs> obviously uh, that was a problem, but you know, you spend money and if maybe somebody died. Okay. So they started looking at who, these credit card charges and they were like, okay, no one in their family has died. And also, by the way, some of these guys would run up like 20 grand a month at a funeral parlor. And I'm like, oh no. So that's what happened. Now, the only possible scenario that I could come up with for this to like check out and whatever is actually if the FBI would call me and I would, you know, hello, the FBI. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, 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 okay. Yes, yes. You know, that's been his lifelong project, no pun intended. Mark is such a planner. And, you know, it could really happen any day. People don't think about that. And his funeral is going to be nice. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been eyeing that casket for years. He must have gotten his bonus this month. Good for him. I just, that's the only way it checks out. Hey, first of all, I cannot believe that in our first episode, you have found the scandal that marries male prostitution and the mortuary <laughs> management business, which you know are my twin passions. It was really fate. It was just, it was like serendipitous that this all came together. When I'm reading that, I'm like, oh yeah, but but if Mark had those charges, I'd be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, no, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it would make sense. Except <laughs> I would, I'm going to be cremated because of the American way of death and the whole expose. Uh, of course. But you know, I did subscribe to mortuary management for a spell. I, I am aware of that. Yes, I do recall. <laughs> you, you, it's mm -hmm. something that I bring up a lot. <laughs> so anyway, if the FBI is ever looking into your charges and they see a few on there, don't worry. I got it. We're good. Thank We're you. Good. Check, check. <laughs> um, okay, so that's what's happening with Henry. That's why they got caught. Um, and innovation. I know, kills everybody, you know, you know. So Craig, so Craig Spence comes back into the picture right around now. It's 1989. Um, and what happens is the Washington Times. Uh, writes a story entitled 
homosexual prostitution probe ensnares officials of Bush and Reagan. So, ba-boom. However, the, um, the story mentions only like really, really, it's, it's a lot of them, but mentions only really low-level government employees, but then names Craig Spence. Yeah. So it's like low-level employees of the Bush and Reagan White House and lobbyist Craig Spence. So how did how did that happen? Was he not well liked in the Beltway? Well, great question. There are I have some discussion points for later about this because I totally agree. I'm like, why is he the only one named? And he was, he was the only one named. I think they might've, um, there's like, there are all these theories about who the other people were. And there are a few that get sort of pulled out over the course of the next year or so. But he was really the only one in this initial article that got like the finger pointed at him. And so a little strange, a little strange, just, I'm gonna put a pin in that. Um, so, uh, that was not the first time that Craig had gotten his name in the paper, though. He also um, he also had gotten some press in the early, like mid '80s for the different parties he would throw and for um, just like he's Washington's mystery man, and no one really knew. Like he had all these connections and he was super powerful, but nobody knew too much about him and all this different stuff. He was. He has all these sort of like side stories of things that happened to him. But in the article, essentially, it says that, um, uh, so it, it says uh, government, that low-level government employees and Craig Spence, a Washington lo lobbyist, who the paper said took prostitutes and friends on late night tours of the White House and served drugs, sex, uh, drugs, sex at parties, bugged for blackmail. I don't know if I copied that right. Seems a little fishy. Um, fun, fun surprise appearance at uh, Craig Spence's sex and drugs filled parties was um, a one Mrs. Phyllis Schlafly. I always stumble over her name. Yeah. Why was she so, at one of his parties? Because she was very high powered in Washington and he was a very high powered in Washington. And apparently everybody came through those parties. Uh -huh. Wow. I know. So I'm like, hmm. Yeah. And he was um, like a Republican lo lobbyist. So a lot of his contacts and it was a Republican White House for what is it, 12 years. So it was um, lots of Republicans mm. had the power in Washington at that time. So, you know, a little bit of a one, two. But um, so anyway, so uh, Craig spends just a little background on him and sort of how he got here, how he got into this mess. Um, but he was born in 1941 um, and the details of where and like about his parents are oddly hard to find. Um, most of the information on him starts with him attending Syracuse University and then going to Vietnam as a stringer for ABC. Um, one little side note is that this is the second time the term stringer has come up in my life in the last like week. And so I don't really know what it means. It's a term, like it's, I guess you do like little bit pieces for news stories, but you as the journalist, Mark, please explain what a stringer is for news organizations. Uh, I've always as assumed that it meant like a freelancer. Oh. Like a contract freelancer where you're a stringer. Okay. So you're not going to get the main byline. You're going to go out and talk to people on the street. But mm. I don't actually, I've never investigated it before because oh. I've always been editor in chief. 
Touche. You've never had to stoop so low. I love it. I, love I would it. never string. <laughs> what am I, a pinata? It's beneath you. Um, so from Vietnam, there's also a weird sketchy story about how he got kicked out of Vietnam. Something about, it's apparently a practice that was really common is you, you cash your check on the black market, like your, like your paycheck. Um, but apparently that was illegal. And so they kicked him out. Um, also some people say it's a, it's a way to kick out like pesky journalists that you don't want. So there's a lot of mystery around Craig. Um, so he ended up in Tokyo and in 1985, he registered with the state department as a foreign agent for Japan and started lobbying. Now this term foreign agent has been tossed around a lot lately. It does not normally mean that you're doing illegal activities. It means that you have to register with the state department as an American citizen and say, Hey, I'm going to be advocating for this foreign nation in my country. So I'm not trying to like commit treason or any of these things. You know, I'm doing this. I'm lobbying on their behalf and they're paying me. That's all that means. Same thing with lobbying. So you, you also have to register as a lobbyist if you're working for the NRA or whatever. You have to tell them that you're being paid to try and get someone else's interests pushed through. Huh. I should have mentioned, I do have a political science degree, but whatever. Um, anyway, so this is the first time I'm ever using it. This is exciting. <laughs> My parents are going to be so proud. Uh, worth every penny. Okay. So um, as I mentioned before, lots of rumors around Spence. Um, he Close friends would even say they had no idea where he was from or where his parents lived or if he had any family or anything like that. But you'd ask them, well, maybe you're not that close. And they're like, no, we were, we, I saw him like every day. Yeah. So questions. He also has like all these crazy stories. So at one point with one of these powerful Japanese politicians, um, there was something where he like claimed, like he claimed that he had blackmailed this Japanese politician in order to buy this house. I don't know why you wouldn't like say, oh yes, I'm for sure blackmailing someone. The Japanese politician um, said, no, that's not what happened. I loaned him the money. And then later on I said, I don't want to do this. And so I got the money back, whatever. You know, I feel like a lot of Craig's idiosyncrasies could be written off as gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a queen who loves drama. Yeah, well, thank you for the next lead-in because there are also lots of stories about how he would have, he'd go to these press conferences in Vietnam and it would like put on a show and just be like, oh, you think you want to do this? And So it would be like a whole, yeah. So he, I think he very much liked to be the center of attention and- He sounds exhausting. <laughs> He does. He did. He sounds like a lot. He was a notorious name dropper. Like people would say you'd be in a conversation with him and he dropped somebody's name like 10 times, like just like, like un, unabashedly name drop all these people. Um, there's also uh, a DUI situation at one point, but also he had lots of drivers. So like, why are you like he would always call someone to come pick him up. But then all of a sudden, like one night he gets picked up as, on a DUI. Um, Where is he those... going that he doesn't want people to know? Gosh. 
the only thing I can come up with. I don't know. I don't know. He's going over to, to Boys R Us 18 plus. I don't know. <laughs> um, he had a coupon. He had a coupon. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Okay. Um, okay. And then there are these like um, these unauthorized White House tours that he's also doing. Like he's bringing a friend, like he'll like go pick up a, one of the escorts and bring him to the White House for like these late night White House tours. Um, apparently there was a secret service agent who, who admitted to being bribed, like to saying, oh yeah, he gave me a Rolex and I let him in the back gate. Mind you, oh, the things you could do in the eighties. Am I right? I mean. Oh, everything was on the table. It was so, so available. Everything was available. <sighs> Sad. Um, he also had this, like some, he would say that at one point he worked for the CIA, but there were no records of it, but people said he, he would always tell stories about it. He also used to brag about bugging his parties so that he could blackmail people later. So he would say like, there'd be people gossiping over in the corner and he'd walk up to them and say, I've heard everything you said. There's a microphone in the lamp. Why is he obsessed with blackmail? I don't know. I don't know. This is some real boomer shit right here. <laughs> I know. You got to chalk it up to 1941 being born in Vietnam. I mean, I, they were all up in everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a group of people who sound worse than anyone <laughs> in the Reagan White House administration or hangers on thereof. Oh my gosh. No kidding. Wait till we get to oh. that scandal. Oh. Oh, I know. My gosh. I'm going to bring in Nancy on that one. Um, <laughs> so, so, and then the other thing that's sort of weird is that like leading up to his death, he had this growing paranoia. All of his friends said that he like started acting really weird. He would, um, he would, you know, dress, dress oddly, like in capes and different disguises and things like that and go around. Yeah, it was very, um, and then he said, so uh, there's a quote from one of his friends that, uh, of him that said, um, I may be disappearing soon. It will be sudden. Um, it may appear to be suicide, but it won't be. I may have become a hostage. Don't believe everything you hear concerning my death. Oh my God. He, all he wants is drama. Mm -hmm. So then during an interview a few months before, so to a reporter, he says all this stuff you've uncovered um, involving call boys and bribery and the White House tours, to be honest with you, it's insignificant compared to the other things I've done, but I'm not going to tell you those things. And somehow the world will will carry on. You know, I fully believe that he would eventually have told people those things. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think, you know what? Like, I think that, you know, I'm not really sure if this was a thing in the late 80s or early 90s, but like now we have all of these tell-all books. I think if Craig had just like had a book deal, like it would have been okay. Well, you know, that's what I was thinking. Like all of these secrets that he never revealed, but everybody in the Reagan White House wrote a goddamn book. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. What more could there possibly be left to expose? I know, I know. So um, he also recorded a short video a few weeks before he died, but everyone said that he looked very upbeat. Um, so I'm, you know, take that, 
So um, on the night of, or actually the morning um, of November 10th, 1989, he was found um, barricaded in his hotel room um, and dead. Uh, then it gets even like more strange. Um, I couldn't find any reporting on the toxicology. So the tox report is not public record for some reason, or at least not searchable. Maybe I need fancy search technology now that we're doing this, but um, Craig Spence toxicology report was only found in other articles referring that they wouldn't know the cause of death until the toxicology report was released, but articles didn't come out after that. So, um, but there is a report that says that found hidden in a false ceiling in the bathroom were seven small packets of Xanax um, with one pill removed. So I don't know if that's one pill from each packet, but like one Xanax isn't going to kill you. No, three Xanax is no. on uh, <laughs> some full of bourbon won't kill you. No. Um, however, heard. yeah. <laughs> and again, wink, wink that you can't see. <laughs> um, <laughs> virtual wink, wink. Um, so, however, on the flip side of that, there was a note. So the note read, Chief, consider this my resignation effective immediately. <laughs> As you always said, uh, you, you can't ask others to make a sacrifice that you're not ready to do. Oh, sorry. If you aren't, hang on, I'm going to start over. Chief, consider this my resignation effective immediately. As you always said, you can't ask others to make a sacrifice if you're not ready to do the same. Life is duty. God bless America. And then there was a postscript and he wrote, P.S., to the Ritz, please forgive this inconvenience. <laughs> that is the most Reagan White House on brand messaging. Very God true. Bless America. Right? Life is duty. I was like, you were never in the army, homeboy. Like, you know, oh, God bless I America. See, I see a shining city on the hill. I'm going to take seven <laughs> Xanax and go there now. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so did people have a field day with the suicide or was it kind of the end of the story? Okay, so great question. So um, so there's like, so there, there, I think there's a lot of mystery surrounding his death. The, his death was really, there was like, oh yeah, and this guy died. Um, that was really the articles. And then nothing really got picked up, nor did the prostitution ring story really get picked up and no one else was named. So for me, I'm like, wait a second. So we just, we just dropped it. And the reporters, apparently people asked like, Hey, why aren't like, why isn't there more yes around his death, but also like, why aren't there more stories around this prostitution ring and the Bush and Reagan officials and all this different stuff. And the press was kind of like, oh, there's just nothing there. And I was like, but they were using they, government funds for male prostitutes. And also it's obviously the eighties and nineties where like to be gay is the worst thing in the world. So like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they kept trying to make us understand Iran Contra. I know. <laughs> Maybe if they'd stopped exerting all their energy on that, they could have gotten to the bottom of this male prostitution scandal. No kidding. No kidding. So 
I don't know. There's, um, there are lots of different circumstances where, again, I just have so many questions like cause of death. He did barricade himself in the room, but a friend also said that he called, and this is okay. Um, Hey, all you friends out there. Uh, don't do this. So a friend called him or he called a friend the night before. So like 5am or something. And, um, and said he'd taken a lot of pills. So the friend obviously was worried, got off, the, got off the phone, calls the hotel. The hotel goes, no, there's no one here by that name. And uh, because I guess he'd used a pseudonym, like he used C.F. Kane from the Truman Capote, from Citizen Kane. But still, here's what the friend did. The friend went, hmm, all right. Well, I was like, so you're not going to call anybody else. Like, you're not going to look for another hotel. You're not going to like go down there or send somebody like what? Huh? To be fair, think about how (laughs) exhausting it has been to be this man's friend. Just bugging you at parties, blackmailing you, lying about blackmailing other people, looking for any excuse for drama. And also the fact that he checked in as C.F. Kane. (laughs) Now I knew you'd love that. Calm down. Calm the fuck down, Craig Spence. Can you imagine the hubris of, yes, oh yes, I'm C.F. Kane. (laughs) Oh. Also, remember being able to check into hotels under pseudonyms? Yes, I thought about that too. I was like, oh, right, you could do that in 89. They were just like, okay, sir, here you go. (laughs) I know. Uh, So what happened to Harry Benson? Oh my gosh, thank you for asking. Um, So Henry, after initially pleading guilt or pleading not guilty rather in 1990, um, he ended up accepting a plea agreement on the advice of his lawyer, guest appearance noise, Greta Von Sustern. Yes, of Fox <laughs> News fame. Yep, she was his lawyer. Uh-huh. Fun. Wow. Mm-hmm. So at first, um, she said, oh, no worries, we'll go to trial. Like, we'll, we'll do that. And then, like, oddly came back to him and said, no, I think you should take this plea deal. So another just weird thing that happened in this case so he pleaded guilty to conspiring, uh, conspiring to violate basically the RICO Act. So the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act um, and credit card fraud. So he served 63 months in prison, which is just shy of five years, I think they said. Um, oh. Yeah, at Minimum Security Federal Corrections Institute in Morgantown. So... Um, Yeah, and so that was in 1990. So after his release, Henry really was like, here's my chance, let's do this. So he earned a master's degree in integrated marketing communications at West Virginia University. That was really always his gift, marketing. Um, He currently resides in Cincinnati and works as an independent consultant in integrated marketing. Yeah, running his own business again. Um, Vincent uh, said he, oh, so he's, he said he's also completed his first year at Taft Law School. So some people have him that he has like a, like a master's in sciences from the mortuary school and a law degree. Um, <clears throat> he hasn't graduated yet from what I can tell. In 2015, he in fact published his own tell-all book 
Confessions of a DC Madam, The Politics of Sex, Lies, and Blackmail. Now, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I'm gonna let y'all follow up and get that on Amazon if you want. It's it did not get picked up by a real publisher. Like I don't, I don't want to discount self-publishing, but um, it was, uh, it did not. It got picked up by like a little publisher. He had a co-author with him, and the co-author is um, known to like have a little bit of a bone to pick. So I think that didn't really help. And these, um, these stories, from what I can tell in this book, I did not get it, but. There's some crazy stories that Henry writes about that borderline, like, I don't want to report on them here because they're a little, like, almost borderline QAnon-y, like. Oh. Yeah. It kind of, kind of, like, a little too deep in for me, like, went down, like, I don't mind a scandal, but I don't really, I'm not going to go down the conspiracy theory path with you because I just, I'm like, you lost me. But there is some crazy stuff in there. So if you'd like to dig into that, um, if you'd like some light reading, just a few um, Amazon review perusals will do it for you. You'll get a real sense of it. <laughs> oh boy. So um, yeah. And then as I mentioned, sort of like that was, that was kind of the end of it. So um, yeah, it was just very, very tragic that Craig Spence was this casualty in all of this and, you know, was the one who got named. And I think from there, his life kind of unraveled and, and that was pretty quickly the end of it from June. And then he, the article came out in June, in the end of June. And then he was found November 10th. So like a quick cycle, like it just doesn't, it doesn't allude to a ton of like mental illness or anything like that. It's just. Yeah. Like literally this one article, I just, I'm like, that's not one article, but you know, basically being called out for this and disgraced in Washington politics. So yeah, but that's kind of the end. Um, I really think that Henry was the one who came out okay on, on this front. I mean, he really set up the OnlyFans. He, the, whole, the whole online sex, sex workers way of living now. Oh, it he was a pioneer. In DC, yeah, he mm. was a pioneer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, that was, he, he, he fancies himself the original DC madam, not to be confused with the one that comes later, which I'm sure that will be a, maybe we'll make this a two-parter and I'll just go ahead and dive right into that one next week. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, you know what, why don't we make our first episode a two-parter and then we can come back in episode two and I will tell you my cafe society madam story because yes, I also chose a prostitution scandal. Oh, this is just why this podcast is always meant to be, Mark. It's just, we're so on the same wavelength. It's just showing how well we function as two humans working together. So I think it's a real sign. I do too. And I can't wait to uh, stop recording and then start (laughs) recording immediately to do an episode two, because let's face it. Uh, no one wants to listen to us for a full hour. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably work them up to that. We'll come up to that. Okay. Thanks yeah. for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. We'll hear you Tune next, in week. next week. You'll hear us. Yes. You'll hear. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs>